It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Previously on Truth and Justice. At this point, we have enough information to begin developing a profile of the unidentified subject that murdered Bill Little. I believe that based on witness statements, we're looking for a white male, tall and thin. The unsub has a known personal relationship to Bill. He's not a friend, but an associate, so to speak. He's probably older than Bill, mature, likely at least in his 30s. He has a history of violence and doesn't think twice about inflicting pain. He's an enforcer. He's criminally experienced. He's not afraid of the police. He's smart enough not to leave the cash register insert laying around with his fingerprints all over it, and knew enough to make a quick exit and distance himself from the crime scene as soon as he had shot Bill, which is also an indication that he likely wasn't certain that that was going to happen when he walked in. It may have began with just a threat and he's confident enough in his reputation for violence not to be bothered by the two eyewitnesses who saw him at the station. I think that either this unsub or a group that he belongs to is feared in the community, and he knows it. Fear is what provides his confidence. You have to take my profile with a grain of salt. I'm not an expert, and what you just heard is my amateur analysis. What we really need now is to bring in an actual expert. Someone who's profiled thousands of cases. Someone like retired FBI supervisory special agent, Jim Clementi. Do you have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Last week, I delivered my own preliminary profile of Bill Little's murderer. As I mentioned in my final thoughts, I'm by no means an expert in criminal behavior analysis. But I've been taught a lot and mentored over the years by retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Jim Clementi. Jim is the expert. He has analyzed, investigated, and profiled thousands of violent crimes over several decades. Today, Jim has graciously agreed to join me in a discussion about Bill's case and deliver his own preliminary profile. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. 
Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. What you're about to hear is not a full analysis of Bill's murder. Jim is extremely busy right now and only had about an hour to talk through the details of the scene. And you're going to hear that Jim and I don't necessarily agree in our profiles of the offender. The beginning of our conversation involved discussion of details that you've already heard on the podcast. So I'm going to bring you in on the discussion right here. As Jim and I are discussing the possibility of the unsub exiting the gas station while Officer Jeff Pilo was on the scene and Pilo not seeing him. He's there filling up his tire. At some point, he gets up, starts walking towards, walks back to his car, walks back towards the store, walks back to his car, gets in and starts to leave. Yes. When he's doing the back and forth shuffle is when he says he sees the guy walking out. Pilo says that as he was in the parking lot across the street, he saw him doing that back and forth shuffle, which would mean Pilo was there at the same time that the man walked out of the building and walked around the corner. Right. So Pilo didn't see it, but we've already at least found one major distraction. His focus was on on Martinez walking back and forth and on Martinez's license plate, not necessarily on the front door or the front left corner of the store. And it's such a quick flash it would take for the guy to walk around that corner. It could have just, you know, a semi could have drove by right then or a car drove by, or he could have looked down to find the the button on his microphone. I mean, there's anything that could have distracted him. Right. And that's why I was asking if you're certain that he was across the street when he made those observations or had he already crossed the street and was he into the parking lot of the, of the gas station? Nope. He, for sure. He had not crossed the street yet when he called in the license plate. Well, I think that answers that mystery. I mean, people think memory is this 100% 360 degree view of whatever's happening and that it's a digital record. It's just not that way. And also people think that, it's possible to do multiple things at once with your brain. Multitasking is actually a misnomer. It's just that brains can switch back and forth between different things quickly, but they're only focusing on one thing at once. And so if he's focusing on reading off that license plate, he's probably not going to notice somebody kind of in the you know a 45-degree, 50-degree field of view further to the left walking out of the store. Right. And let's say he's also focusing on Martinez walking back towards his car. Isn't that the time when the guy came out? Yeah. And I think what you said about memory is important for people to understand, too, that I don't think that we can be certain of anything as far as the exact place and time when everything was happening. I think all of this happened in a matter of 20 seconds. There was a whole lot going on. Boom, 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 boom. And he saw him, but, you know, because he says, I saw him on my second trip towards the store or my first trip or third trip or whatever it was, I don't feel that, that we can take that as an absolute certainty as far as its accuracy. We know that he was confused going back and forth. We know that he saw a guy and we know that it all happened right about 821. Let's look at behaviorally. If he was walking towards the store the first time, what turned him around to go back? Probably because he saw the guy coming out. Right. And then he goes back to his car, and then when he turns back around, the guy was already gone. 
and then he thought better of going back inside and decides to leave. Right. So from the outside, I mean, the, the major thing for me, and unless there's more that you want to know about outside, for me, as I'm trying to figure out, as I'm trying to reconstruct the crime scene to work towards a profile, did the man leave, shoot Bill and leave right around 821? I think the evidence suggests that that's exactly what happened. It seems like it, especially because there's a man there, Danny Martinez, who hears two pops that sounds like a backfire. And we know there are two shots. The coincidence of his car backfiring twice right around the same time as somebody shooting twice is too astronomically high for me. I think he was an ear witness, but he didn't understand what he actually heard. I agree. And I think that I think that if his car had backfired, he would have known it. You know, I, I haven't heard a car backfire in a long time, but back in the day, I, you know, with older cars, it's pretty distinct and it's pretty loud. And I think, you know, that has, so the fact that he says I was, I thought that maybe my car was backfiring when he's filling a tire, just, you know, a couple feet away from it. I think that if, if it was his car, he would have known it. But I don't know how familiar he is with the sound of a 22 caliber pistol going off or revolver going off. In other words, even though he might know what a backfire sounds like, he could misinterpret the gunshot if he isn't familiar with that what that's going to sound like right and that maybe i didn't verbalize that quite right but that's exactly what i'm saying he heard a sound that was foreign and the only thing he could think was maybe it was a backfire because he didn't know what that sound was i just think that if it actually was a backfire he would have been more certain of the fact that it was his car so that puts us at about 821 when bill gets shot and the man almost immediately flees, within seconds, flees the scene, which is, I think, what you would expect once you you commit a murder, to distance yourself as quickly as possible. Either way, if this was a robbery going wrong, or this was a murder, an intentional pre-planned murder, or if this was a murder that happened on the spot because of some kind of provocation, any one of those scenarios, the offender would want to distance himself from the victim as soon as possible. The longer he stays in that location, the chances of him getting caught rise exponentially. Right. And that same thought is the basic reason, the first reason why I wanted to reach out to you about this case and to build a profile, because right after the murder, the guy's gone. But we've got this 821 shooting, but we have witnesses or a witness that sees the same guy in the store 15 minutes earlier. And that would be Jerry Gutierrez when he comes in and Bill is acting very nervous. He doesn't say a word. It looks like he just, instead of even punching in a sale, he just hits no sale and takes his money. And so what I, I guess first question is before we even dig too much deeper into it, I'm curious if you have any idea, maybe not statistics, but just an idea of how often uh, a convenience store or a gas station, small retail establishment, robberies like this end in murder? Well, they happen fairly regularly if something goes wrong. So most of the time, offenders want to get in and out. And why kill someone when a gas station is never going to give you enough money to balance against that? Now, you have to add factors like, is somebody desperate? Is somebody high? Is somebody really pissed off at somebody else? Those are all 
factors that could come into play. So in other words, if you're trying to reconcile why somebody would be there, an offender would be there 15 minutes before the killing, uh, there's a million reasons why that could happen. And so there's, it could be pre-attack surveillance. It could be that he is in the midst of some kind of personal argument with this person. It could also mean that the fact that there is somebody, a customer coming in, interrupts him. And now he is going to take a while to figure out whether he wants to go forward or what he has to do. Now that he's been seen at the location, does he now feel like, I can't just rob you anymore. I have to kill you because otherwise I'm going to have two witnesses tell who I am. That's a possibility. I'm not saying that that's happening yet, but all I'm saying is if you're looking for reasons, that's one of them. So let's just say Mr. X comes in to rob the place. You know, he's got to walk around a little bit, make sure everything's cool, make sure there's only one person there, you know, make sure nobody's going to come running at him with a gun. And so he's doing his little shopping around or maybe even chit-chatting. Now, it sounds like the behavior that Bill Little exhibits when the customer comes in, that's not what was going on. That Bill is very nervous and he thinks or is in the process of being robbed. He thinks he's about to be robbed or he is in the process of being robbed. If that's the case, I think a weapon must have already been shown because it sounds like he was so nervous and couldn't even think to push the right numbers, but he just did no sale to get him out of there. And maybe that was because he was told if that guy comes in here, you get him out of here immediately. If you do anything, I'll kill you both. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think a weapon must have already been shown because it sounds like he was so nervous and couldn't even think to push the right numbers, but he just did no sale to get him out of there. And maybe that was because he was told that that guy comes in here, you get him out of here immediately. If you do anything, I'll kill you both. Right. And we do have a little bit of insight into Bill's behavior at that point because Gutierrez, who was there, said that you know he was in there often and he knew Bill from being in there. And he thought it was very, the reason he came back, he thought it was so odd that Bill didn't speak to him, that, that he, could, he could tell that he was, he was very nervous at that point. And the guy was standing around the edge, you know, it's like that L-shaped counter with a, about a two-foot space at the end. The guy was standing off the end where the clerk goes back, so he was, he was very close to Bill. Mm. Yeah, it sounds very much like he walked in on the robbery in progress, or whatever it is in progress. 
I filled you in on victimology. I don't want to get too in detail with it because the listeners have already heard it. But the new elements we have, you know, we we know that during high school, Bill was was very amicable. He's described as a peacemaker, funny guy. And we also know that in the months leading up to this, that he had a few risk factors that we'd identified. There was a potential drug connection. We know that he was, according to his mother, he was aware of some robberies and was talking about going to the police to tell them who was doing the robberies. And then also you have the gambling issues where apparently he had some gambling debt going on. Right. So the question is, is there interrelationship between those things? Are the drugs connected to the people that were doing the robberies or are they connected to the people that he was gambling with or are they all connected? I don't know that we know the answer to that yet. Right. So that's, I'm just saying that's a really good avenue of investigation. Right. And so we have, we have these kind of elements of victimology to think about. And then we'll, I'll move into kind of the known timeline that we have in the store and what we found in the store. So there's two key elements that whenever I'm working with you, you always want to know about is what's, you know, what does the crime scene look like and what's the medical evidence? So I'll start with the crime scene itself. Both are pretty simple and quick to explain. There was a stool behind the counter for the clerk to sit on that was knocked over, but that was right next to Bill's body. I mean, like within six inches of his legs when he was on the, where his body was found. Other than that, there is no evidence of any struggle. There's nothing knocked off any shelves. There's nothing tipped over. No evidence that there was any kind of a fight happening. And you said he was shot twice in the chest. Right. And so there's not oh, there's a there's a couple things that we can get. First of all, as far as the autopsy is concerned, there's no evidence of struggle on Bill either. He does have five bruises on his one forearm, but they were described as being yellow and brown. So I, it, it, he never came out and said as much, but it's from reading the trial testimony and stuff. It seems like those were considered to be old injuries, not from the, the attack. Do we have anything on the angle of entry? And where the location of the shots were? Yes, and that is what I think is it tells a little better story for us. First thing that we need to know is there's no soot or stippling at all in these wounds. The ME said that as a rule of thumb with clothing on and shots from that type of caliber of weapon, that he believes the shots had to have come from at least two feet away from Bill. Yeah, I was going to say around three or more, but yeah, that could be right. So it's not point blank, no evidence of struggle. Now the shots, and of course we don't know which one was first or second. One of them came in at the chest at heart height, just a little left of center, but came in at an angle that severed right through both ventricles of the heart. And the bullet came to rest in the right plural space. When you say at an angle, you mean that it, it was coming in from left to right or right to left? From the shooter's perspective, the shot came in level, no up-down deviation, and it came in from right to left. So it came in right of Bill's heart, ended left of his heart, severed both ventricles. And so where it came in, if you imagine Bill standing at the counter, the space where that guy was standing was to Bill's left. So it could, you know, it would have been, not that the guy was standing there when he shot him, but that angle would work if the guy was off to his side a little bit. But of course, you know, it's dynamic. Anybody could have been moving anywhere. So the second shot came in 
at an extreme angle at a glance the officers thought he was just the first shot was just a shot to the shoulder because it's up on bill's left shoulder just under the clavicle like a half inch under the clavicle so same came in same side same left right angle but this one enters in a half inch under his clavicle bone goes down and across through both atria of the heart and ended up in the pleural space on the right side. So it's a very extreme angle coming down. So from up to down and from uh, the shooters right to left, Bill's left to right. I mean, it sounds like he was already, he was either ducking down or he was already on the ground. Right. To me, yeah, my, my interpretation was there's obviously a couple options. One being the first shot, you know, he curled over because of the first shot when the second one was fired, or he could have been on his knees with the with the guy standing over him firing at that angle. Hmm. So this is also right to left from the shooter's perspective. Correct. I I don't think I, I'm curious what you think, but I, it doesn't seem to me. I mean, the angle would work for him if Bill was on the ground uh, or like on his knees. But if that was the case, I don't think this is like get on your knees execution type. I don't. It's a weird place to shoot someone if it's that methodical. Yeah, usually you don't try to shoot somebody through the heart, through their shoulder. You try to shoot them. You shoot them in the head if that's what you're doing. Right. But if somebody is is actively trying to avoid you, they might duck down and and crunch up and and get shot that way. Right. And. It sounds like the shots, if what Martinez heard were the shots, it sounds like they came in pretty quick succession. It was like boom, boom. So it makes sense if the first one that's level, no up-down deviation, if he shot him from straight across, you know, they're both standing, and then the second one came as Bill's falling or hunching over or whatever. Yeah, I mean, people respond to being shot in different ways, especially at 22. There's not really much of it. Sometimes people don't know they're shot. Ronald Reagan didn't know he was shot. Mm-hmm. So he could have just been moving out of fear. I'm, sh- I'm sure, especially once he knows he's, you know, something's happening, nobody's just standing still. I really think that the shot that's level has to be the first shot. The chances of him just randomly being in a position so that it is a perfectly level shot, it would mean that the victim would have had to have been laying there motionless. But it, it's not just a level shot. It's a level shot from an angle. Right. So they would have to be laying motionless, but sort of turned on his side. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I think the higher probability is that he was shot from level to one side, but generally in front of him. And then the next shot, he was crouching down or fully on the ground when he was shot through just under the clavicle. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I mean, obviously there's other possibilities, but that I came to the same conclusion as far as the most probable was that the, the one, the first one, the one to the, the level one to the chest was probably the first shot. Yeah. There's no indication of movement in that shot because it's so level. It is possible that somebody could just, randomly have gotten that angle yes but which is the dirtier shot i mean clearly the second one is and actually it ended up being i mean with two quick shots at a moving target i don't know if it's if it's luck or skill but this offender 
managed to sever all four lobes of the heart with two shots. I know that's crazy. That's got to be luck. Uh, nobody could have intended that, especially the shot through the clavicle area. Right. And I think it's just it's unfortunately Bill Little's unfortunate luck and the offender's good luck. Right. And it's you know tw- twenty two as you know. I, I've seen. I've been doing a little bit of research. There's. There's a lot of people that are shot in the chest with a 22 that survive it because it's such a small projectile. And, and Bill, unfortunately, just they the rounds just went exactly in the wrong place. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was one of them. Uh, the point is that generally a 22 is so dangerous because once it gets inside, it can ricochet off a bunch of bones and keep bouncing around and tear up a lot of stuff. And that isn't what happened here. It basically somehow found a line to crisscross his heart in a way that tore the whole thing up and he was unsavable at that point. So what we know, we know how he was shot. There's no evidence on his body of any struggle. We just have the two, two bullet wounds. We have no evidence of struggle in the building. The ME, of course, sounds like and you concur with this, that the shot would have come from at least two feet away without having any stood or stippling. Uh, and then we have the actual robbery itself. Well, tell me about that. So we have the exact numbers, which you haven't heard yet, was there was, in the, in the audit the next day, was there was $92.92 that should have been in the drawer, according to the register. Mm. And then they have a $4.63 gas variance, meaning there was that much gas pumped that wasn't logged into the register. $3 of that could have been because of the no sale when Gutierrez came in. And she said that that happens. You know, there's, there's little variances here and there um, from little, little screw-ups. But the, the killer, the burglar, took the entire tray out of the register and left with it, and it was never recovered. They actually did a search for three blocks, uh, all the, a bunch of officers trying to just, you know, they figured at some point the guy's going to pull the cash out and dump the tray, but he never did. They never, or at least they never found it anywhere. But didn't you say there were multiple no sales? There was three no sales. So we have a no sale at eight oh six p.m. And that's when Gutierrez says he walked in there and bought three dollars worth of gas. I think the most probable is that was Bill taking his three dollars and putting it in because there's no three dollar sale anywhere else around there. Right. And then we have a six-minute gap, and this is this is the part that starts to make me really wonder behaviorally why this why I wanted to bring you in. So from eight oh six, Jerry Gutierrez leaves. There's no record. There's nothing on the tape. Nothing on the gas pumps. Nothing from any witnesses or canvassing that anyone else was in the store after eight oh six. the The first time we have a no sale after that is eight twelve. So this uh, if that's our offender inside. He's inside with Bill for six minutes before the next no sale gets hit at 8.12. And then three minutes later at 8.15, there's another no sale hit. And then at 8.16, the silent alarm is pressed. And then it's another five minutes after that, if we believe that Martinez heard the shots, it's another five minutes after the no sale bu- or the silent alarm button is hit before Bill gets shot and the man flees. And he leaves with just the cash register till. That's it. They even audited the you know, in gas stations. They keep a, a close inventory on cigarettes, especially. 
Not even a single pack of cigarettes missing. Nothing. Just the 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 till. Right. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And so we have three no-sales, one of which is accounted for. Mm-hmm. One of the which most likely would have been necessary for the robbery to occur. Right. I think the, the, the 815 one, the drawer was still open when the police got there. The only way to get the drawer open was to hit the no-sale button. So the 815 one was most certainly the drawer opening for the, the insert from the drawer to come out. Okay. Well, the 812 could have been the first opening, and here, here's the cash, and then he closes it. And then 815 could have been, well, I want the whole tray because I know you put the big bills under the tray. Mm-hmm. I mean, that still could be part of the same event. Right, I agree. And that's actually, the in, in our follow-up episode this week, that is kind of the working theory that, you know, maybe they opened it, he gave him the cash, and he said, no, open it again. I know there's bigger bills under there, and they open it a second time. Right. And then he manages to get the silent alarm. Where is the silent alarm button? The silent alarm button is under the register. Uh, it's like on the bottom side of the shelf that the register's sitting on. But it's far in? It's like two feet in or something, a foot or something in? Probably like a foot. I've talked to a clerk that worked there. And a clerk that worked at another gas station, and they both said it, was, it wasn't close. I mean, you had to reach under there. I mean, you didn't have to crawl under there, but you had to reach your arm under there pretty far to hit it. Because you, you, Well, you probably heard in one of the episodes of the guy, Chuck, that said he actually got robbed and didn't press it because it was too hard to reach, and he was afraid the guy would see him doing it. Right. He said it's a foot or two feet in. That's a major difference, but right. either way, it's significant. But he managed to trip it. Right. And then it's not till five minutes later that he was actually shot. Right. So there is some interaction going on for something in the area of 15, 16 minutes. Right. At least that because the man that Gutierrez saw was already in the store when he walked in at 8.05. Correct. But he was already in the store in a position of threat to Bill Little. Right, of control at least. Yeah, well, threat in that, I mean, he clearly had Bill scared. Right. So these are the, these are the questions that I've been asking myself, and I, I don't know the answers to them. I'm just thinking, trying to think like a criminal. If my motivation is to rob the store, 
I get, you know, you get interrupted by Gutierrez. Once he clears out, I would think that it's okay. If they've already, he's already threatened him, give me the money and let me get out because now I know there's a witness. And to me, you had mentioned this earlier, and that's why I started to ask you about is to me, that would be a deterrent. You can kill Bill and then he can't be a witness. But now, you know, if you kill Bill, someone else already saw you and knew you were there. I don't get why someone would be there for six minutes. When I saw that timeline, I thought that I was going to find a struggle. Bill's beat up. The things knocked off of shelves. There was stuff was ransacked, something. But for some reason, he's in there for six minutes. And then we have most certainly the last time the drawer was opened was at 8.15. And still the offense. So at that point, we know, I think we can assume that the burglar had the money, had what he'd came for in his hands at 8.15, but then still sticks around for another five minutes, still extending that period of risk that someone could walk in for another five minutes after that. And then kills Bill, not during a struggle from at least three feet away. I, I can understand them killing Bill because you know he would be a witness and they don't want him to be a witness. But there's other witnesses. He doesn't shoot Martinez. He walks out and, according to Martinez, looks him right in the eyes and just takes off and goes around the corner. Right, but uh, Bob, I don't think there was a struggle here. There's no evidence of it. You would see if there was. I don't think that's what we have here. But I do think that it's possible that the delay between 8.06 and 8.12 was because somebody else was out there pumping gas or something. I don't know how long Danny Martinez was there filling up his tire, but he's obviously there at 821, right? Right. But that's he's walking towards the store a couple of times then. How long does it take? You get out of your car, do you have to put in quarters? Or is it free? You unscrew the cap, you fill it up, you test it a little bit, you fill it up. I don't know what he's doing. But that could take five or six minutes. But what I'm thinking is between 8.06 and 8.12, somebody else could have come in. There is another dollar something of gas that's unaccounted for, right? Right. And so that could be another customer that delayed it even further. And then that customer just went off because they were not wanting to get involved. And then it's only three minutes before the money is probably taken out. One minute after that, he manages to trip the alarm. Maybe at that point, he's pleading for his life. Maybe at that point, he's arguing or discussing something. The robber wants something from him or is talking to him about something else. And that's the discussion time. So that five minutes between the money getting taken and Bill Little getting shot is actually a discussion rather than a the fight you're looking for. I just don't see evidence of that. Right. And that's, and that's exactly my point. There isn't a fight. I'm sure there wasn't a fight going on, which means the offender wasn't in a position where he had to kill Bill. Like you talked about where you see these, you know, where they're fighting him for the money or, or whatever's happening, or they feel like they're a witness. But so there's some discussion. There's some, something happening, which to me is leading me to believe that the burglary may have not been the motive here, that there may be some kind of personal connection. There may, there was a reason that this guy stuck around and discussed something with Bill after he had just robbed him for five minutes and then kills him. Okay. So let's talk about this. Let's do our analysis. You talk to another employee of the same gas station chain, right? Right. And he had been robbed, right? Right. 
but he was around to tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because he was robbed, wasn't murdered. Right. So generally, gas station robberies end in robberies, not murder. But this one is different. There's probably a reason for that. So we look at victimology. What kind of risk level does this guy, guy have? He's 18 years old. I mean, yeah, recently he's gotten involved with some people who, who might have drugs and jail and things like that in their history. He, he owes somebody gambling money, but it's like 40 bucks. There's some information that he knows about a string of robberies that he knows who he's, who's doing that and he's going to tell the cops. Well, and then maybe he had been smoking pot and doing cocaine a little bit or something. Could have a drug debt as well. So those are things that could be happening. Those are things that elevate his risk slightly. But his really biggest risk is the fact that he is at a gas station that's potentially a location for a robbery. But again, that's for a robbery, not for a murder. And if he didn't actually fight the robber, if the robber waited five minutes from the time that the silent alarm was tripped, then I don't think it was in response to that. In other words, he didn't figure that out and then shoot him. He shot him for another reason. And the reason doesn't seem to exist at the gas station. It seems that there is a reason outside of the gas station that elevated Bill Little's risk for murder. The gas station could be the reason for a robbery, to elevate his risk for a robbery, but not necessarily for a murder. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think my instincts are telling me this is something that this is this is and this is I, I know I always go further than than you would or should. Uh, but, you know, as, as I'm running through my mind, just like what hypotheticals, what could this mean? It almost feels like an enforcer type situation, you know, like somebody like part of a, of a group or a gang or something that like he was killed to send a, a message. Like, why not? Why shoot him when you already have the money? Why shoot him when he's not fighting? Why shoot him twice when you just shot him right in the chest? Why shoot him a second time? What, what kind of person walks out with composure, according to the two people that saw him, just walks out, looks at Danny Martinez and just, walk, not runs, walks around the corner, disappears, smart enough not to drop the till. Like, it, 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 it sounds to me like I'm picturing like an enforcer type person. Smart enough to not drop the till. To me, that is a very dangerous move, bringing the till with you. Money? You stick it in your pocket, it's yours. Right. Nobody can identify it, right? Unless it's Mark Bills from a bank, and that's not happening. Mm -hmm. He took the till. That, to me, is an aspect of staging. And that's one of the reasons why I think this is more a murder than it is a robbery. And I get what you're saying, that it could be an enforcer, could be somebody threatening somebody else by showing what they did to this guy. But I don't know. It didn't seem like... The, the gambling and the, the drug debts that he got into were that big deal. But if it's a person, a person that he has a gripe with, or that person has a gripe with him, to me, it's it feels a little more like that. And I get what you're saying, 
but I'm telling you what my impression is, mm -hmm. that this is more of a personal cause homicide than it is a, you know, sort of conspiracy, control people, make sure people understand. Now, if you told me that this town had a rash of these kinds of killings, I might think otherwise. But to me, this is basically a little bit of a rundown Mayberry area, and, you know, people are doing bad things. Somebody came in there with the intention of either scaring the shit out of him and then because of the other circumstances or the escalation of the argument between them, he ended up killing him. But it doesn't, doesn't look like a professional hit to me because if I was a professional hitter, the last thing I'm going to do once there's actually a person in there looking at me, last thing I'm going to do is commit the crime. I'm going to walk away. This guy did not leave for a reason because he had a really serious goal and it was worth it to him to pull the trigger twice, even though he had been seen minutes before. Right. Yeah. And I don't, and when I say enforcer type, I'm, I'm not necessarily mean like a professional hit because I think a professional hit, the guy would have walked in and shot him in the head and walked out of there, you know, with nobody's, nobody's seeing him, but just mm -hmm. someone who's, you know, I, I'm thinking in my mind of the gambling, you know, cause like you said, he's got this $40 gambling debt. That's just the one person that came forward and said Bill told him that two to three weeks earlier. His mom said he has a gambling problem. I mean, who knows what could happen between now and, you know. Yeah, but he's not the kind of guy who had that, you know, who's going to bet $20,000 and be in debt 100000 That's all I'm saying. Right. And it just killing somebody over 40 or 100 or 400 is just, that's extreme. Well, real quick, so if, if, before you have to go, Jim. Do you have enough information to give a basic profile or a basic preliminary profile of what type of offender we're looking for? Yeah, well, I think we're looking for somebody who's on the younger side, who's impulsive, who doesn't have a tremendous amount of experience doing this particular crime, which is killing somebody and staging it as a robbery. I think it was a bonehead move taking the, the till because it clearly makes it staged. People don't do that. There's no reason to do that if you're just robbing. If you need the money underneath, you lift out the till, you take the money out of the till, you lift the till out, then you take the money beneath it, and you leave the things that were there, there. You don't take them with you. That ties you to the crime. So I'd say on the younger side, some known relationship to this victim, Bill Little, and someone who is impulsive. So he's not going to have like a great long-term job. He's going to have issues with relationships, and I think he's probably from the area. Knows it well. All right, Jim, I know you got to run. Thank you so much for your help on this. I do have one last question for you before you go. I think we've got about 60 seconds left. The one, my issue was, I think, with the, the disconnect with my profile and yours is I put the till as part of the robbery, and you're seeing it as staging, and that does make a huge difference. Would it make a difference at all if the reason the till might have been taken is if the guy realized that he had touched it and his fingerprints were on it? I mean, it's possible. Did he touch anything else? I don't know. Was it a pistol or a revolver? It, we believe it was a revolver. There's no shell casings anywhere. I know, but that's, that's the question. I mean, it's not to say that they can't tell, but they didn't do any kind of forensics on that. Those are factors that we just don't know. And, of course, it's a possibility. If he had picked up his brass, then I would tend to agree with you. 
if he used a revolver and he didn't have any brass, then there's no indication to me that he's forensically sophisticated enough to make that move. I don't know. But it is a possibility. Let's find out more. We still have a long way to go in our investigation. We need more information. We need a better understanding of the connections between the gambling, drugs, and robberies the bill was connected to. And we need to find out if there actually was a violent group intimidating the citizens of Bloomington in 1991. Was Bill's killer an impulsive younger offender or a more mature enforcer type sending a message? We're going to continue our search for that answer next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com or you can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can even follow Mike at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.